0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by Cashfly
1: at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Squarespace, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website, blog, or online portfolio. And Squarespace has recently launched a developer platform for complete control. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com TWIP and use the offer code TWIP2. This week on TWIP, it's a triple play. Three short interviews with some friends of the show, both old and new. First up, there's an interview on how photographers can develop their individual looks or style with Chris Forwig. Secondly, I sit down with TWIP listener Brian Fisher about his experiences at the recent Vlog World and New Media Expo. And finally, Frequent TWIP co-host Don Komarechka sets the record straight regarding Canadian copyright. Sit back and prepare to have your mind blown. It's episode 293 of This Week in Photo. Okay, before we get started with the interviews, a little housekeeping. I mentioned a few weeks ago that we'd be running a contest to give away a couple of those very popular transporter devices from Connected Data... Well, lots of the listeners you guys have written in to ask when the heck that contest was going to start. Well, I'm happy to announce it's starting now. If you check the blog post for this episode, you'll find an entry form at the bottom and we'll be announcing the lucky randomly selected winner in the show that airs February 22nd. And good luck. Okay. First up, Brooks Institute faculty member Chris Orwig explains some ways photographers can start to develop a personal photographic look while not plagiarizing others. All right, I'm uh, I'm sitting down with. With Mr. Chris Orwig, you may have heard of him. If you have been on Lynda.com or down at Brooks Institute of Photography or in any bookstore in the country, you probably have heard of Chris Orwig. Chris is a—he's a, a friend of mine and also a, an amazing photographer and educator. And he's agreed to take some time out of his day to day to come out to, to sit down and and talk about a topic that's been on the, the top of mind for lots of photographers, especially beginning photographers, and, you know, maybe even some seasoned photographers, and that's how to develop your style and your vision. So, Chris Orwick, welcome.
2: Yeah, great to be here. Good to chat, as always. Um, it's always fun to uh, get some time to to chat. And um, you mentioned Brooks briefly um, just to mention this quickly, is that uh, I've had you to come out to be a guest speaker in my class, which is really fun. So it's kind of fun to to flip this around a bit and to, to get a chat this way as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is this is really great. I love it. Uh, turnabout is fair play, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for the folks that may not have heard of Chris, um, what give me just like, like a quick synopsis of, of who you are, who, what brought you into the world of photography, and then what you're doing right now, you know, a little level deeper than what I said in the intro. Yeah, definitely. Well,
2: really, I'm a photographer because I was skateboarding one day and was hit by a car. You know, oh. kind of...
1: <laughs> <laughs> And then you had superpowers after that. That sounds like a superhero origin story. Yeah, yeah. a whole bio story.
2: story. <laughs> I mean, this isn't in my bio. but um, And then I, I had a number of health issues and for a number of years. And during that time, my dad gave me a camera. And it was kind of his wisdom in doing that. And the camera helped me shift my focus from myself to other things Mm -hmm. and that ignited something in me um and that was kind of my moment so to speak you know and so that's really why I do it and then that obviously evolved into other things and then um now what I do is I love capturing moments that would otherwise have been lost um whether that's pictures of people or life as it unfolds or my
1: kids or or everything in between so it's a bit of what I do. I love that, and then you have the the gift of being able to explain this stuff. a lot of people because there 's a lot of sort of esoteric things about photography, whether it be how light reacts and and exposure and and you know composition all that stuff and it 's hard sometimes to explain that, but you have this knack of being able to explain. How this stuff works, and not only explain how it works, but how people can apply it and then go out and create great photos, talk a little bit about your 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 educational superpowers and your your approach to that stuff.
2: sure yeah, I think part of that is because you know my my entry into photography was you might call it kind of an emotional one um, it wasn 't um, a technical one, and I wanted to figure out how to express and com- convey and communicate and Um so I was looking for ways to to gain the technique but then make that sort of come alive. Mm -hmm. Um and so that's always been my motivation. The school where I teach is highly technical. I you know, I can't sometimes I can't believe I get to teach there um because my colleagues know so much. I learn a lot from them. But um anyhow, for me it it is about that and it's about breaking it down. Like I remember talking with a good friend about F-stops early on, which are confusing. At first. Yeah. And he said, think of it this way: if if you have a line of people in focus and you want one of them in focus, use F1. You know, if your camera had that. If you want all thirteen, use F13. And I was like, that's it. That that's all really you need to know. Obviously, there's variation depending on how far the subject is and all sure. these different things, but just that it allows you to have this small slice or this big slice in focus. Yeah. Um, So things like that really resonated with me because then I could go out and really convey or capture or communicate. You know, that was that was exciting. Um, And of course, eventually that excitement leads to gaining hopefully a bit of, you know, technical understanding. But uh, it's kind of part of the mix for me is, is, is I think how I entered and how and why I'm in photography.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, the, the whole F-stop thing was one of the things that I grappled with when I was first starting, because I couldn't understand yeah. the logic behind larger numbers meaning smaller holes. <laughs> right, know? right. Like, <laughs> like, why this doesn't work? Why not large numbers mean bigger? I don't get yeah. it. So that's yeah. a great way to think about it. Yeah. So what are what are some of the topics that you that you cover in your class down at Brooks? I mean, what do what people learn in there?
2: Yeah, great question. You know, um... I teach a whole range of courses, everything from the very beginning classes to the very end. What's fun about the early classes is the excitement. You know, people just come in with this raw enthusiasm, and um, they don't—they've never heard of Richard Avedon, or they've never heard of um, curves or anything. You know, I mean, some of them have, but that's—that's that's fun. So part of that early growth is a lot of times the stuff I teach is the digital side of things there. And then later, as they progress, I'll teach courses on putting a portfolio together or on advanced people photography or, um, or advanced Photoshop, for that matter, or blending Photoshop and creativity together and kind of you know becoming more creative. Um, the portfolio class in particular, that one's really one of the main focuses is developing your voice and style um, because the challenge that our students have, that we all have as photographers, especially when you're new, mm. is you shoot everything. You know, you're hungry, and you're just like, wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. And then to you have to kind of ask yourself, well, how do I put that together so that it makes sense to someone else so it's not just stream of consciousness um, because that doesn't, you know, it it, sh- it doesn't show you have that style. So no one's going to.
1: It's the no. you're the the jack of all trades, master yeah. of none, right? Exactly. There How go. Do, let's take let let's go down that route because yeah. that's the main thrust of this. So, yeah. for the photographers that are you, let's let's take a, a sort of a case study. So, let's say there's sure. a photographer that is technically proficient. They understand, you know, smaller numbers mean, you know, bigger holes, (laughs) all that stuff. You know, and they understand composition. They understand the post-processing piece of it. They know how to get their images out of whatever post-processing software they're using up onto the web. They got it nailed. They understand that stuff. How do they go from being technically proficient to having a style, to actually knowing that, okay, this guy is known for... Shallow depth of field right. and undersaturated images, you know, that right, kind of right. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the $64,000 question, right?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. If you come across the answer, let me know. But um,
1: <laughs> hey, If you don't know, we're all in trouble, Chris. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> I mean, a, a few of the things I've discovered is that well, well, Ira Glass, a great kind of communicator and storyteller, put it this way. She said, people are attracted to visual arts because they have good taste. So you become a photographer because you, you in a way, can identify a a good photograph. Same reason a musician's attracted to music. They have a good ear, you know. So as photographers, we have these good eyes, but you know early on, because your eye is good, that your work isn't any good. And so somehow you have to get past that. And so then, like you said, the technique helps you get past that. But eventually you sort of get to a level of technique. And then the next hurdle, of course, is that you start... Seen all this other great work, and it's overwhelming mm-hmm. because you're like, how? I mean, you know, you and we compare ourselves to a photographer who's been shooting for thirty years, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And so, what I find helpful is to get people thinking about style almost from an aspirational perspective, not not from a descriptive meaning. If it were athletics and we were talking about running a marathon, I, I don't. I wouldn't ask them, well, "What can you run right now?" I'd say, like, "Well, what, what do you want to run?" Oh, "I want want to run a marathon in four hours." Okay, great. Um, well, let's talk. That's that gives us something to talk about. And so, Big anyway, yeah. this is a long answer. But one of the things I've done in my classes is I, is I say to students, "Hey, describe your you, you know the style you aspire to." No one can, and and I have them tell their students next to him, and they kind of mumble, well, I uh, kind of, sort of, you know, I don't know. And then I say, well, try to describe your style by way of comparing it to food. And I get these great responses. Oh, it's awesome. And I, yeah, it's really fun. Like, I've shared them before. This one student, Don, she said, I want my photography to be like a souffle. It's kind of simple from the outside, but it's always filled with a little bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Love it, right? I like it. Another student, this guy, Otter, um, yeah, he's from uh I'm blanking with it, where it is, but Norway or something. He said once a year my family has caviar on New Year's Day. He said I want my photography to be like caviar. It's like not everyone likes it, but those who do are committed to it beyond means, you know. <laughs> I
1: know. <That's laughs> awesome. You you get great answers, right? I love that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I don't, I'm trying to think of what my my food would be. I'm thinking yeah. The the peanut butter and jelly keeps popping into my head, (laughs) 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 or Reese's peanut butter cups. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. But
2: what it does is it just kind of disarms the conversation a bit because I think it's hard for us to say. I mean, it's all you know. Well, here's my style because it isn't there yet. And what those conversations do, and there's lots of different ways you could do that. Compare it to weather or to cars or to other brands. You know, one of my friends who helped found a GoPro said to me when they started that company out their goal was to be part Red Bull and part Apple and if those two came together what you know and they had a baby and it was a waterproof camera what would it be and I thought that's interesting you know the the whole idea of of comparing yourself to different brands what is it about those you like you know would you like your photography to be a 1950 Chevy truck that's Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of rustic and rough and and, uh, or would you want it to be a 1950 Chevy that's fully restored and just pristine and, and perfect? you know? And so those things help help get underneath what interests us. And what I find is when the class starts talking about it, the, the best part is, they think that everyone else has the same kind of style aspirations as they do. Mm-hmm. But you, you soon realize it's completely different. What one person likes or wants is totally different than another. So it's also the idea that we need to have that kind of comparative collective dialogue um, with people around us because it, you know you don't know you know a fish can't describe water so to speak you know that, that exactly that, that, that.
1: exactly yeah the the uh, the uh, the other piece of that I was going to ask you oh before we continue yeah. what describes your photography if you were well, are you going to compare oh, no. it to a car you're going to compare yeah. it to food what's what's chris worwick's style
2: yeah well you know, another exercise I do is, like, make a yes-no list. Yes on one side, no on another. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it that way. Yes, acoustic guitar, no electric guitar. Um, yes, um, backpacking, no RV camping. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, um, trying to think of other things... Um, Sand, no concrete. So I like things that you know, are rowboat,
1: rowboat versus, you know, jet ski. Powerboat, right? yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, while I appreciate those other things, yeah, sailboat versus the the, the, the speedboat, um, mm-hmm. the, um, those natural elements are, are, are things I really value. So I am always asking myself, you know, is this, is this matching my voice or am I kind of impersonating someone else? And that's the trick, right, mm-hmm. is um, – we all are inspired by other people, but in, inspiration and impersonation are very different. You know, you want to be fully yourself, mm-hmm. um, and so that's part of those
1: exercises. But, but what about what about using other photographers that you admire, using yeah. their work as inspiration? As a you know, sort of beginning photographer, for example, say you're you know you're a huge fan of Richard Avedon, right? So right. you're like, okay, that I love that look. Uh, I don't want to be him, but he inspires me. So yeah. I'm gonna try to recreate some of his works using my own model. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that just? I mean, are you being are you emulating too much? Are you being plagiaristic? Yeah. Or are you building your own style? That's a
2: yeah. I, I think that's a that's a powerful question, really. And I'll answer it by way of sharing some wisdom. A colleague of mine who teaches at Brooks said about travel photography, and this won't seem like it relates, but hopefully it will. So we'll see. But he said that as a travel photographer, if you go shoot San Francisco on assignment, Mm -hmm. the first day you get the postcard shots, the next day you do the work of the photographer. Mm -hmm. And he said if you only have an hour, the first 10 minutes get the postcard shots, the next 50 do the work of the photographer. Or I translate that to, as I like doing people photography, I get the obvious portrait, I get that out of my system, and then I dig deeper and so I think that 's true when it comes to impersonation, because we have so many images that affect how we think and how we see that it's it 's impossible to have to, for those not to influence us, right, mm-hmm. especially with the ones we really love you know, right. like like let 's say it 's avidon or let 's say it 's some landscape photographer, and you go to that landscape. how can you not think of the shot
1: of course right? and like, how can you happen? not think of Ansel Adams when you go to Yosemite. Right, 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 right. right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and so then the question is, some people will say, well, don't take it. And I say, no, shoot through it. Um, Take that shot and then do the work of the photographer. And I think that's what emulation is. You know, if you look at music, um, you know, there aren't that many chords you can play on a guitar or that many notes for that matter. And so a lot of times you're playing these other notes and these other songs and then you, you tweak them and and you and you go your own your own way. So yeah. So I think there is some sort of a, a balance, and I I think that being afraid of that tends to stifle creativity, but working through that um, um, is good. And sometimes what happens too is, at least for me, I'll 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 look at a shot afterwards. I was I'm so excited about, it and then I realize, oh, that was a ripoff. <laughs> and it's so yeah, exactly. disappointing. Yeah. I thought I was all original and everything. I'm like, oh. <laughs>
1: You're Dang like it. I had that in my head, and I executed it. But how did it get in my head? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. That, I wrote down I wrote down some words here um, that were kind of key. But you actually said these words, so okay. um, impersonation, yeah. emulation, improvisation, yeah. right? So those I don't know if those go in a specific yeah. order, but you know, down towards the end, at some point after going through that that hierarchy you hopefully you end up with you and what you are and all that exactly Exactly. sort of a distillation you know all this stuff is just a distillation of your past experiences right so you you like these kind of photos you like that kind of food you like these kind of venues and all that comes together to create the kind of things that you want to see on you know in the camera and I, i tell people when i when i shoot things it's you know i don't I don't particularly enjoy reality. So I like, I like, I like yeah. my world a little bit more shallowed up the field and sure. oversaturated. That's how I sure. want the world to be. So that's, yeah. that's, that's what I render when I, when I create images. So. Yeah, and I, and I think how,
2: you know, you know, it's the same thing with writing. You know, writers, they all have access to the same dictionary, you know, yeah. but, um, it's, it's how you're kind of arranging those words and that, um, to be really unique and, and opinionated and, personal really helps and i you know one of my um kind of mentors um rodney smith once said you know the more personal you are with your photography the more global or broad its reach yeah we kind of think the opposite like if you're doing stock photography make it really generic and then a lot of people will like it but it's like no make it really specific to you i mean um in I think even Annie Annie Leavitt says stuff like you know if you want to get good at photography, photograph your neighborhood um, mm-hmm. and and start where you are, who you are, and kind of those things, like you said, it is that distillation, and the more we can tap into that um, hopefully you know the more distinct the photograph right
1: yeah. Yeah. So, closing. What What are some tips that you can give photographers today to go out? You know, like one one I just called from what you just yeah. said was, "Hey, go out into your neighborhood and tell the story of your neighborhood. Whether it's a new neighborhood, an old neighborhood, or right. urban, suburban, whatever, tell the story of it." What are some other tips that you might uh, you might throw out there for folks to get started? Yeah, I throw out a couple. One is a yes no list. Really helpful
2: to do mm-hmm. to do that. Um, just column write a column and write down 10 or 15 things and it could be just stuff you like to start sort of start to articulate the style um the next thing is the brand association kind of ideas and what it is is it about certain brands or concepts because really style you're kind of developing this this almost brand you know do you like um you know you could do it with people too you like um theodore roosevelt's tenacity you like john muir's um love of the wild um You like Bono's passion, or whatever it is, right? Um, So I think developing different ways to articulate it is helpful. Um, Another exercise I find is helpful is to write um, your mission statement as a photographer or your bio, so to speak, not in photographic language. Mm -hmm. So, for example, for me, one of the ones I did was about um, sea glass. And so I want to be like the sea that takes sharp, broken glass and kind of softens it, you know, and I love the way the ocean does that. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and that language helps me kind of articulate what I'm trying to capture. So anyway, homework assignment, spend some time writing some stuff down. You know, that's really, really important. Then I think as far as the shooting goes, I would go back to that other advice of start where you are, like you said, and then shoot through the obvious pictures and just, be okay with it. Almost embrace them. Like if you're at the Golden Gate Bridge, shoot the classic postcard that you saw 600 times while you're walking around San Francisco. Shoot that one exactly as it was. Then get creative. Mm -hmm. And I think that approach, it will open up doors for you. I I almost like to think of it like you take a little turn and then another turn another turn. um, And a lot of times, it's it's as if you're unknotting the problem versus just looking for the solution. There it is, boom, done. But you're searching for it. So th- those would be my uh, my I few love tips. That.
1: That's perfect. So uh, in, I got to write all those down. Those are going to go in the blog post for this. What? Uh, where? Where can people go to to see some of the stuff that you've been working on and some of the knots that you've untied and all that magic stuff?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I have a new website in, in progress. Hopefully that'll be out there soon. But in the meantime, just my name, com, And then I also have content, um, training content on com slash chrisorwig. And if you Google around, I have a couple of TEDx talks out there people might enjoy. Um, but yeah, if you do some searches, you'll you'll come across those.
1: I love that. I love how you just roll over that. Oh yeah. And by the way, I did a couple of Ted talks. You you may have heard of it. You may have heard of Ted. I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. My friend calls those sniff comments, you know, it's like if you're hanging out with runners and someone says, did you go running yesterday? You're like, yeah, I did a marathon. No big deal.
1: (laughs) You got to put the sniff in there. (laughs) Yeah, or yeah, I went to Berkeley, I got MBA, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. You know, exactly. I do it every day. Yeah, it's just
2: that's what I did that before breakfast, actually. Yeah.
1: I love it. All right, Chris. Well thank you, man. This is this has been perfect. I love this. I love talking to you and I love these kinds of conversations. They're always sort of mind opening and and depressing in some ways because of like, wow, there's so much I have to do and I have no time to do it.
2: I'm with you. So, I,
1: I enjoy it as well.
2: Next time I want to uh, turn the table and it'd be great to interview you. So let's try and do that. I think that'd be I'm, really fun.
1: I'm game, man. Anytime okay. you want to do it. I'm, I'm happy to be on the other side. Okay. So, sounds good. All right, Chris. Enjoy your weekend. Okay. You too. That was Chris Orwig. You can check his work out over at chrisorwig.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website, blog, or online portfolio. Squarespace gives you and your website users the best mobile experience. Squarespace has developed new templates with mobile-ready responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures to look great on any brand smartphone, tablet or computer and when you say add an image to your site seven different versions are created so the correct size loads for that particular device so your site looks professionally designed no matter how it's viewed and Squarespace is designed to be really fast and easy to use they've got some amazing templates to choose from with 100% drag and drop functionality for all of the customization tools and to make customization a breeze they've added a new page builder tool called the layout engine which enables you to customize your pages in seconds by adding blocks of content like photos videos text social media content and immediately preview the layout as you build the page plus This makes it easier for anyone, no code required, to quickly build a site or online portfolio. Plus, they give you better social media integration. You can automatically import, sync, publish to and from social media networks with just a few clicks, dynamically refreshing your site content and raising the awareness of your social media circles. For example, you can automatically pull photos in from Instagram into your site. You can instantly sync pages and galleries to Facebook. You can auto-publish your new blog entries to Twitter. You'll have social media buttons that connect your readers with your accounts on services you love, like Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Plus, Instagram, Foursquare, Dropbox, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, and on and on and on. Squarespace is exceptionally well-designed as well. They've got an award-winning design team and, of course, user experience experts on staff. And they've created a new set of sophisticated design templates. Now, these design templates reflect modern web style while using highly intuitive navigation. And each template has hundreds of customization options available. So you can change the grid layout. You can change the colors. You can choose from over 300 fonts and more. And they integrate all of this into whatever you need you know to just to make a really amazing looking website they uh you know help you with domain they'll help you with design development hosting of course customer support it's a unified service making it faster and easier than ever before to create a high quality website blog or online portfolio. If you'd like a free trial of Squarespace, just head over to squarespace.com slash twip. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, just use the offer code twip two and they'll knock 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And that includes monthly and annual plans. That's squarespace.com and use the offer code twip two. Basically, they've got everything you need to create an exceptional website. Next up, fashion photographer and longtime TWIP listener Brian Fisher joins me to discuss the recent Blog World and New Media Expo held in Las Vegas, Nevada. Basically, I ask the question, was it worth it? All right, I'm here with Mr. Brian Fisher. He's a good friend of mine and a photographer. And it turns out Brian just got back a couple days ago, I guess. What is it? The uh, We're recording this on the 16th, so I guess about a week ago from, from the New Media Blog World and New Media Expo in Las Vegas. And I wasn't able to go to that. A bunch of people that I know went and were presenting. Brian agreed to join me today to talk about his experiences at the show. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it a flop? Was it worth traveling out there? All that good stuff so that we can be better prepared for next year's New Media (laughs) Expos. Brian Fisher, welcome to This Week in Photo.
0: Hi, Frederick. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I'm a little intimidated because that mic you have sounds as good as mine or better. And uh, I, I went I to great like trouble for that. <laughs> I don't like that from my clothes. I would have sounded better. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me get another one. <laughs> yeah, go get, use your iPhone headphones or whatever. Got whatever. it. Cool. So, hey, man, so, so again, welcome to the show. Uh, first, before we dive into the New Media Expo and blog world and all that stuff, tell us a little bit about you and what the kind of things that you like to shoot.
0: Well, I've been a photographer for about 30 years now, given that I started as uh, about a 10-year-old. And started taking paid work when I was about 15. Um, I took a little time off to make a living in the medical world, but I teach workflow studies one-on-one with people, mm-hmm. usually Aperture. And I uh, hold large modeling events, so I'm in the whole modeling sort of glamour field.
1: Cool. And you do, you, you do an event down in, on the Central Coast yearly, right? Tell me a little bit yeah, about that. That's the Portfolio Jams. They were uh, originally
0: an event to sort of bring together photographers and models in a safe, controlled environment. We had uh, a couple of unsavory people on the Central Coast, and we felt that uh, myself and another photographer felt this was a way to sort of uh, bring a little safety, bring a little uh, public exposure. Mm -hmm. And it worked. We get up to about 200 people at a time. And, uh, like, this year we do two days. One day is a beach shoot photographers and models on the beach. Second day, we rent the Santa Maria Speedway, nice. bring in, oh, a couple dozen hot rods, motorcycles, a uh, crane truck, makeup truck, and, uh, and it's a models- free event and models right so and models yes we have lots of beautiful models so
1: so fast cars central coast of california photographers and models all in one place that sounds sounds like a blast man it's you know we have a lot of volunteers to help out (laughs) I (laughs) i bet okay let's let's jump into this uh this expo that happened so you went out there what were you expecting first of all when you went to this thing
0: I, this is my first time at the event, so it's sort of a newbie perspective. I was looking for, in particular, some answers from vendors as I'm setting up a podcast. Uh, I found them. The show floor is not big. It's probably 40, 50 vendors. Okay. And then it is three days of classes. Okay. Classes are about an hour long. You go for about six hours, seven hours of the
1: day in classes. And what are you learning in these? What, what did you go to learn that you didn't? Or in other words, what what did you get out of going to this expo that you wouldn't have gotten had you just sat in front of your computer or your your tablet? Well,
0: there are certainly lots of educational opportunities online, and it's great. Mm-hmm. But what you don't get is talking to the instructor, asking questions, and sort of that first, you know, that. Uh, uh, flesh meeting space. You're mm-hmm. really spending a lot of time talking to other podcasters, other new media people, bloggers, people that are actually successfully making a living yeah. at what they're doing.
1: Right, right. And do you did you get a chance to actually interact with them one-on-one? Or, yes. or was it was a one-to-many kind of thing? They do their thing and then they're off like James Brown into the back room.
0: Uh, no, actually it was really good. There's about 170 presenters. Mm-hmm. They do one class. And then they tend to stay at the event. So uh, I took for a good example, uh, Jamie Turdy, who is a specialist in interviewing millionaires, which is apparently a good gig. Nice. She also teaches how to interview. So I took a class on interviewing with her. And then I spent the better part of 40 minutes talking to her over lunch because she was eating with a group of folks. Very
1: cool. What, what did you take away from the how to interview? Because I'm, I'm looking for tips, too. It's harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> it yes, it is. Don't be deceived by how yeah. fluid I make it look. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Strong work, Frederick. <laughs>
0: um, the, uh, uh, in interviewing, I, uh, I've, I've done a few practice interviews, mm-hmm. and I found out that I talk too much.
1: So isn't that interesting? It's funny. It's interesting when you, when you're, when I first started doing interviews, I've done quite a few now, but when you first start doing interviews, you feel like you have to say a lot to, and the the, the thing that I learned, I think the big takeaway that I learned from becoming better at interviews was to shut up, you know, ask a question and then stop talking, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and get out, make it nice and open and
0: then just let it flow. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, the other thing that, uh, interestingly, and I got this not just from her but from other – oddly enough, there were people that show up to her classes that obviously have huge experience. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the takeaway was don't over plan. Mm-hmm. Get Get a strong idea of what the person's about and then let them explain the rest to you. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Hey, Topped I could have taught that. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I was looking. I'm like, <laughs> Frederick should really have something here. I should. Maybe next year. Maybe next year I'll get my act together and, and get out there. Yeah. It's a the interviewing piece of it is really really interesting, and I love doing it. Obviously, because I keep doing it. But but uh, like you said, you know, you tease out a little bit of a topic. It's kind of like a like trying to get a hermit crab out of its shell. You know, get a little bit of it out, and then step back and let it come out and explore. But it's fun stuff, so let's talk about money like what going money. going to this thing cost effective how much did you pay? Uh, okay,
0: they have an all access pass that's i believe uh a little pricey that's mm-hmm. that's in your your probably four five hundred dollar range. I went with the podcasting track, which let me go very podcast oriented mm-hmm. and they scan your badge so that you don't go into the wrong class mm-hmm. and it. Really, uh, it was great for me. It was under a hundred dollars for the the whole thing nice. outside of a hotel room.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I of course chose a cheap hotel, which was on the other side of all the construction from the casino. That was a good plan. <laughs> um, I do suggest if you're going to go to the conference, spend the extra money. Just stay right in the Rio where they're doing it. Yeah, save you a lot of pain. And did you did you drive out? Did you fly out? I drove out um, for two reasons. One, because I I like driving, mm-hmm. but also I do a bit of GigaPan work. And uh, on just this side of the California border, they are building a giant solar concentrator array, mm. and I wanted to go shoot some GigaPans of that.
1: Did you? Did you do it? I did. Yeah. How would they
0: come I, out? Uh, it's going to be better when they're up and running. But it was a good test. I just basically getting sights. Yeah. And a uh, little worried about shooting the array when it's running because I might just burn out the sensor on my camera. It, it'll be a little bright, kind of like yeah. the surface of the sun, right? <laughs> yeah, these are the largest solar concentrators in the world. Wow. And they're huge. Wow. I would love to see that. I yeah. would love to see that. You, the geek in me is coming out. You yeah. will not miss it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, So I wanted to take some time, of course, hauling a ton of equipment. Driving was the answer. Got it. Got
1: it. Okay. So parting shots. So when, uh, you know, if someone comes up to you over the next year and says, Hey, I'm thinking about going to this blog world, new media expo thing. Is it worth it? Should I spend the time on it or not? What, where do you net out at?
0: So if you are planning a podcast as I am, Mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely go there are plenty of new classes. If you're technically advanced, if you are looking for the gems, Yes, still worth going. Mm-hmm. If you are an advanced, no, probably not.
1: Yeah. So, so if, you, yeah, but define advanced. If you, so it would advance be you could, you can set up WordPress and blog or. I, I would call that medium. If you are, if medium. you're already making your money at this,
0: you know then no, you're probably not going to gain anything. anything. Okay. This is more about building the system than uh, running it.
1: Oh, okay. So you're saying I didn't need to go anyway. Uh, you need to go teach. <laughs> I need to go teach. Yes. Awesome. All right. I will go there and uh, reach out and hopefully become an instructor at Blog World and New Media Expo in 2014. God, 2014. Did you yes. Do that? Oh, I hate saying <laughs> that. Where are the flying cars? That's not what I want to know. Where are the flying cars? <laughs> just give it a minute. Google's got it somewhere. Yeah. A self driving flying car, also known as a decapitator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Brian. Well, thank you. So, where, so, I, you know, customarily I like to give people the, uh, the info and where the audience can go to find out more about you and the stuff that you're working on. What, what's your URL?
0: Your best bet is to just Google Portfolio Jam, my events. Contact me through there. Or if you'd like to follow the development on my podcast, that would be on the Twitters at MP Showcase.
1: NP or M- MP as in Model Photographer Showcase. Got it. MP Showcase, dot, or MP, MP showcase on Twitter or is MP there Showcase.com. There's a dot .com for it too. Okay. There is, but it's in development, so at your own risk. Okay, got it. Like Kind of like that construction at the hotel, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool, Brian. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Brian Fisher. You can check his work out over at BrianFisher.com, and that's Brian, dot rcom And in this final interview, Frequent Twip co-host Don Komaretska joins me to set the record straight about some changes that were recently made to Canadian copyright law. Okay, if if there was a such thing as a special report, this would be it <laughs> on TWIP. So let me preface this by saying a couple of episodes ago, we reported on This Week in Photo, we reported on, this, on some changes to the Canadian copyright law as they apply to photographers. And mea culpa, we got it completely wrong. <laughs> we just messed it up. And of course, the TWIP universe, the TWIP army, being the vocal ones that they are, let us know that we screwed it up. So to make it right and to actually give some useful information, Don Komarechka, one of our one of our frequent Twip hosts, um, offered to come on and sort of let us know exactly what the, the law means. Of course, prefacing this with he's not a lawyer; he is a he's a photographer that just lives in Canada, and these laws affect him. So. Don is here to explain what the changes to the Canadian copyright law mean to photographers living in Canada. Don, welcome to this this Week in photo special report. Uh,
3: Well, thank you for having me. I feel like I'm a
1: reporter in the field here. You are. You are. Let's go live to our embedded troupe, uh, Don Komariska. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, Don, let's let's just jump right into it. So, First of all, for the folks that may not know who you are, you're, you're an amazing photographer. You do some killer macro stuff with uh, snowflakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you teach workshops. you got a website. So you're a pro. You know your stuff, right?
3: I, I am. And I pay very close attention to the way the laws affect how I, uh, how I take my pictures and, and what I do with them and if I own them and all of that type of stuff. So uh, we recently had a very big change to the Canadian copyright law. And it's a change that's been going on for many years. Uh, it had been proposed. I think this was the fourth time that it was proposed, and it finally went through. And I think November 7th, it became uh, active law. Mm-hmm. And this change helps photographers quite a bit. But there's a bit of misunderstanding into exactly what the law does, what it allows, what it doesn't. And I've spent a bit of time uh, with since uh november or so just digging through it and figuring out exactly what these changes are mm-hmm. now I, I, as you said i'm not a lawyer and i don't pretend to be uh, and if any of this interests you you want more information go talk to a lawyer yeah. uh because they'll have the full understanding of how the law affects different things then it's very intertwined uh I, I think i was saying earlier that i've just been snorkeling around the iceberg that is the canadian mm-hmm. copyright law uh, that being said uh, some of the fun changes uh, – some of these effect photographers, some of them don't. I mean it, there's a lot of a variation in this.
1: No. Is, this uh, is, is, is the law – just before you continue, is the law designed to – is it aimed at just general copyright? Is it aimed at creatives in general or – A lot of the stuff has to do with creatives but some of it has to do with infringement
3: as well. Okay. So it, it's modernizing both sides of the equation. Okay. So uh, we have something in Canada called fair dealings and it's very similar to the U.S. fair use – Um, we now allow fair dealings for education, satire, and parody, which previously were not allowed in Canada. So uh, from an educational standpoint, I mean, I teach workshops, I I, I teach at the local college here. So now educational institutes can replicate pretty much all content uh, without the permission of the copyright owner. Now you have to give credit and there's stipulations to it, but you don't need to seek permission first, wow. which is wonderful because previously that was a big roadblock. If you wanted to say, uh, show a video in school, you couldn't show any video in school. You would have to have permission and going through elementary school, the boring, uh, same old videos were played year on year in grade school because they would need to get permission from whatever movie house produced it wow. and they, they wouldn't give it. So now that, you know, it helps our education system quite a bit as well.
1: Now, how can so those, just before you continue on that? So that's a that's a good example of the the law being used in the correct way. What are some ways that people might exploit it for nefarious reasons?
3: Oh, well, you see, people can then take anything. Uh, it has to be in educational or in, I think, the libraries, and I think there are certain religious groups and nonprofits that have uh, uses for this as well. Um, I can't think right off the top of my head any nefarious ways. I guess I'm an honest guy. I don't yeah. think of ways to use the, sure. the law in bad ways. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this went through, like I said, four different revisions and was re- rejected so many times. So it's been refined quite a bit. Okay. Uh, but it also allows for um in some ways for you to take um uh youtube I think- there's been a big issue with people using copyrighted material online for YouTube videos or or anything else like that and this new provision also has certain things for something called user generated content Mm -hmm. where if you're taking content from other sources say movie clips song clips other people's work of any kind you can mash it together into a video on YouTube and as long as you fall I think there's four or five different stipulations you've got to give credit you've got to have you know there's certain requirements uh, that you have to hit but you can use uh, copyrighted work in YouTube videos in Canada now at least. And in a I've in a mashup. A so
1: I'm I'm just trying to get my brain around what that could look like for for a photographer again, you know, using it so you're an, a digital artist and you're putting it together a music video or some sort of animation so you could use other people's work to build that animation and then at the end of that as long as you've does it become your work at the end of it or is it still is it a, a group copyright? How does that work?
3: I, I guess you got to talk to a lawyer. Yeah, that, right? yeah. I, I, I don't know if uh, if you would own the copyright to it, uh, and
1: because it it's a new work, it's like the Shepherd Fairy thing, right? It's a new work after the end. You know, it
3: but, has to be exclusively, and this is uh, listed in the lot. It has to be exclusively for nonprofit. profit okay. You cannot make oh. any money. It has to be non-commercial. Okay. So it. Uh, it. it wouldn't be your own full rights if there's any, some limited rights that are provided. Yep. Um, they specifically say, like if you've got a YouTube video and you try to put ads on it and mm-hmm. it's somebody else's content, then you're taken down regardless. So got there's it. all these different rules that you have to hit. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, but th- these laws uh, affect photographers in many ways as well. And one of the biggest changes is that previous to this uh, – I'll, I'll, I'm going to bore you for a second and read some of the language. Okay. It's going to be quick. It's going to be pretty painless. But Take your time. The old, <laughs> the old language was where in the case of an engraving, photograph or portrait, the plate or other original – you can see how dated this was um, – was ordered by some other person and was made for valuable consideration and the consideration was paid – Yada, yada, yada. It's owned by the person who paid you. Uh, The law has now been changed so that you will retain the copyright to everything for commercial use. But if, say, you're a wedding photographer and you do a shoot, uh, you know, bride and groom, you're hired, they pay you, all that stuff. They still have full use of all of their photographs for any non-commercial private purposes uh, Hmm. without contacting you whatsoever unless you have a contract to uh, the contrary. so right, and, and all wedding photographers in Canada have always had that clause in their contracts because otherwise they would never own the rights to their photographs.
1: Don, so, how does how would that work? Uh, in, in, uh, you know, I know you're not a lawyer, but how would that work if you're shooting a wedding and you hire a second shooter now?
3: Now, now see, that gets interesting because um, if you're – if you're hiring somebody, then they're working for you. Mm-hmm. They're not. You're not commissioning them to take pictures on your behalf. They're essentially an employee, right? And that follows under different laws, and you would then own the photographs.
1: Okay, and just Got it.
3: just yeah. the same as if you're uh, if if you're taking pictures for the military, uh, and the military sort of owns your work
1: yep. at that point. Yes, they do.
3: Yeah. Uh, so. This has some ramifications because in the law – and this is kind of – I didn't realize it until I was reading it. But uh, again, to go into the language here, it says a photograph or a portrait that was commissioned by the individual for personal purposes and made for valuable consideration unless the individual and the owner uh, have an agreement otherwise. But it doesn't say that the valuable consideration was paid. In the previous language, it said that they would have to make the agreement and pay you. Mm. But now the, the payment issue is not in the law. So that kind of raises another flag as well. I'd have to read more deeply. But
1: it, it one, says, but it says valuable consideration though, right? Right. So, but that could be, that could be experience, later. right? So the valuable consideration is... Just, but it's whatever you agree upon, right? Right. Uh,
3: because this has to be a, a two-sided, uh, two-sided okay. coin. Got it. Got it. But so th- there's also personal use for monetary gains. So, for example, if I were to go out and I was going to photograph somebody's artwork... Uh, I do some artwork reproduction work and somebody wants a a photograph of their art because they want to make a copy of it, then it's personal use but it's for monetary gain. Thereby, I own the rights to it unless the contract says otherwise. They can't use it to make money uh, in essence unless our contract specifically says that. Okay. Uh, and then also, like if you're doing corporate or business, say you're doing work for a company, then the copyright stays with the photographer, uh, again, unless there's writing that says that they own it. And generally, they'd want that, but it's got to be in a contract. Okay. So now, the photographers will have more rights uh, just without writing up complicated contracts and everything. Personal use for personal, private clients, they still own the rights to everything that you photograph. And that's something that a lot of people were missing on.
1: That's great. Wow. See... That's what we missed. All that is what we... <laughs>
3: is there's what, more. There's more? Okay, there keep there's going. There's more. So now in, in Canadian copyright law, there's uh, there's stuff on watermarking. Mm. And they, they have uh, provisions right now for what's called rights information or rights management information, which in essence, applying to photographers, it applies to other things too. But for photographers, it means a watermark. And the language specifically outlines that a watermark would be qualified for that. And there is... Uh, sanctions. I guess they call it legal remedies. There's, you know, whatever their uh, technical terms are. But uh, it means that you can claim uh, significant damages if somebody takes your photograph and crops the watermark off or changes it and manipulates it in any way. I don't know if this is U.S. law, but now it's Canadian law mm-hmm. where if they manipulate your watermark, if they remove it entirely, then that's copyright infringement just by itself. And reposting it uh, means that you can claim more and wow. your, uh, your court case is stronger because of it. Um, and specifically they say in there, it's not, and, and this is new to Canadian law as well. It's if the person knows or should have known that the removal or alternation, uh, alteration. So even if they didn't know that, that it's illegal, they're still in trouble,
1: Okay. which yeah. is
3: new for Canada. So this is great stuff.
1: Wow. So um, you still no more pleading ignorance, right?
3: Yes. No more pleading ignorance, at least in this case. Okay. Um, there's also some interesting stuff here, too, uh, when it comes to registering copyrights. And in Canada, registering your copyrights is an extremely painful process, and it doesn't really do a lot of good. Um, you have to register it image by image. It costs about 50 bucks a pop, 60 if you want a little certificate. And For every single image? For every single image. And okay. <laughs> when you register an image, it's uh, – it doesn't even allow you to upload a copy of the image for reference. It just takes the title of the work, the date that it was made and your name. And mm. so it's unusual in that sense that it's not really a good record keeper. Um, so in registering a copyright, it, it specifically says, cause you have to, in order to, to, to sue or to do whatever you want to do in court, you've got to prove that you own the work. Mm-hmm. And it says that, you know, a certificate, of registration of copyright is evidence that the copyright subsists and that's what you need. You need evidence that the copyright is there. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't registered the copyright, there's still some benefits here because we're, uh, if, if no, uh, grant has been registered and I'm just reading some of the legalese here, but, uh, da, 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 if no ass- uh is at issue, no assignment of the copyright, the license granting, I'm just sort of reading it quickly here, sure. but uh, if a name purporting to be that of the author of the work is printed or otherwise indicated thereon in the usual manner, like a watermark, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So if your name's on your picture, it can be used as a uh, as notice that the copyright subsists. That can be tampered with, of course, what if somebody takes your picture and puts their own watermark on it? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. There's all sorts. But you have provisions to, to have that. And if you've got a raw file and the other person doesn't, all you have to do is prove that it's yours. And then you can take it to court and claim damages. You don't need to register to do that. And in Canada, you can claim damages, um, statutory damages, by the way this law is written, on pretty much anything without having it registered. And it specifically will say that a copyright owner may elect at any time before final judgment is rendered to recover, instead of damages and profits, an award of statutory damages. And so no copyright registration is necessary by the way that this – by the way that I'm interpreting it anyhow. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's interesting stuff in here now. Previous to this new law, uh, there was a sum not less of 500 and not more than 20,000 that would qualify for statutory damages. And now that is for commercial purposes. There's a new category in here for non-commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. So if an individual were to uh, to infringe on your copyrights, there's sums of not less than 100 and not more than 5,000. Mm-hmm. So for individuals, you can go after them for a less amount in statutory damages. And this this is better for both sides because previous, everybody was lumped together and you could get statutory claims against an individual for 20 grand. Mm-hmm. And now you can't. Mm-hmm. So – it's benefiting both sides and uh, making it easier for everybody, I think. And, uh, and that's just that, like I said, this is the tip of the iceberg. And I've spent a day digging through all these documents and pulling out my hair to make any sense of it. Wow. Um, but at the end of the day, it's good for photographers. It's good for everybody else. It's good for education. Uh, and you own your work more often than you
1: used to. Wonderful, wonderful, so then uh, just to close this off what uh so specifically in your world and in things that you do, your workshops and your photography and you know this, your, the, your magazine work, all that stuff, how do these laws directly impact Don komarechka uh,
3: well I, like I'd mentioned, I do uh, some uh, artwork reproduction photography you know, right and there has to be a contract in place so that the- the person's paying me, I don't mind that they have the rights to use the stuff that they're paying me to photograph. I mean, that, that's uh, legitimate and they just need to have a contract uh, in that. Yeah. I'm not a portrait photographer or a wedding photographer. So those contracts and those laws didn't really affect me too much. But I do uh, the occasional bit of product photography or you know commercial real estate photography. And previous to this, if I didn't have a contract with that person, then I didn't own any of the pictures. I couldn't put them in my portfolio. I couldn't do anything for, for any use. Right. And and now I own the rights and they own limited rights. So unless they need a, a contract and all that type of stuff. So there's an impact there. Um, for me, I don't register my copyrights for a lot of my pictures, at least not with the Canadian Copyright Office. Because as I explained, it's expensive. It's and It's 50 bucks.
1: Work. Yeah. yeah,
3: per picture. Uh, I, I have registered a few and that's come in handy, but I can't afford to register them all. And, uh, and now I might not need to, depending on how this law is written and interpreted. So I think that can be a very good thing. It also allows me as a workshop teacher to use other people's photographs as examples in my presentations, giving them full credit and, and giving credit where credit is due. but I can, uh, I can improve my teaching abilities by showing great examples of photographs that I might not ever be in the, you know the, the position to take mm-hmm. and I might not be able to contact. Whoever the photographer was, if the photographer's maybe passed away, and whoever's holding their estate isn't answering emails and all that kind of stuff, so I can use it with credit, and away
1: I go. I'm off to the races. That's great. Well, good overall. It sounds like a a monumental and over you know overall a good move. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens out of this. We'll keep an eye on this and check back in with you over the next couple of years and see if you're like, oh, this is horrible. You know. <laughs> I don't think that'll be the case. I do plan on sitting
3: down with an actual lawyer and talking about all this stuff, though, just so that I get my head straight on it. And anybody else uh, considering to, to to look into this deeply should probably do the same. But in essence, it helps photographers and it helps everybody. So you should be happy with it.
1: Love it. All right, Don Komariska, thank you for this special report on Canadian copyright law. And uh, I'll see you on TWIP again. You're coming on again soon, I think. All right. I hope so. We'll see you there. All right. Thanks, Don. All right. That was Don Komarechka, macro photographer extraordinaire and frequent Twip co-host. You can check out some of his amazing work over at DonCom.ca. That's D O N K O M dot C-A. And that's it for this week's Twip. To keep up with everything in the Twip universe, be sure to check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please be sure to join our growing and vibrant and active Google Plus community. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me over at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off.